Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the privilege to study your word. Thank you for the, the fellowship. Thank you for all the people who came and uh, for Maricopa Springs Family Church. We, uh, we pray that you may help us to uh, have energy, uh, to be um, having clarity, to understand your word, to remember it, and uh, help us to, um, to see the, the impact that you are um, drawing us to have through this uh, text, to have our lives um, uh, changed, the Lord, with the, the armor of the believer. Amen. Alright, so let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 20. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this is the um, passage on the armor of God, the armor of the believer, the spiritual armor that we all have to put on. It's a really uh, fascinating portion of scripture and so what we'll do, we'll go through different uh, verses through the text. I'll ask you questions and try to lead you to think through what this is meaning. So you can also study the Bible in the very same way, asking questions, observing the text. So verse 10, he says, finally, that we are wrapping up the book. It's at the end. He's summing up the things he's been, he has been talking about. And now he kind of concludes with the final uh, summary of what we are to do. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So, according to that verse, what do we need for the Christian life? The Lord's strength. Strength of the Lord. Something else? I said the Lord's strength. The Lord's strength. That's right. So, we need the Lord's strength. 
What does that imply? You have to understand the Lord to some extent. You have, you have to? Have a relational, have a relationship right. With the Lord. You have to have a relationship with the Lord. That's right. Something else. We're weak. We are weak. See, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, i.e., you are and I am weak. I don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. We need uh, the Lord. There's this verse in, uh, in the Old Testament that says, It is not by strength, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit. So here you have it. You just cannot live the Christian life on your own. You need the Lord. That's why he repeats it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, that means it's going to be hard. We don't have what it takes. We need the Lord and we need his strength. So you know that's how he starts the finally. So that's, that's the foundation. It's going to be hard. You need the Lord. You need his might. You need him. You cannot do it on your own. So then we move on to verse uh, 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Couple explanations and some phrases. When it says flesh and blood, it's basically a figure of speech that means people. Right? So here is flesh, the skin, all the flesh I have on my body, and then inside there are bones. It's just a way to say everything that's part of a human being by just two terms. So it happens often in the Bible uh, where there would be two terms that are uh, following each other and it represents the whole. So when it says we do not war against flesh and blood, he's saying we're not at war with people. Okay, another thing is then when he talks about rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, he's basically talking about demons. And in uh, the demonic realm, uh, just as in the angelic realm, uh, you have different ranks. So they are, they are archangels, they are seraphims, they are different types of angels that are ministering and so on and so forth. And here you have different ranks of demons. And so this is what it means. Um, so then the question is, <coughs> what are we commanded to do? Sand. Oh, sorry, put on. That's, that's good. Put on. Oh, you see that? It says, put on the whole armor of God. Also mentioned in verse uh, 13 in a slightly different way. Take up the whole armor of God. So that's the command. You have to put on something. You have to take something. What does that imply? <coughs> we ought to take off, very possibly. When you look at the Bible, it says, put off the old man. Put on the new self, so we keep that in mind. Uh, but again, it says, put on the whole armor of God. If we just look at that, uh, and that's part of it, because put on. But something else that is implied. 
equipping? Like, what? We need equipping? Yeah. Something else. We're in a fight? We are at war. We are in a fight. So all that you said is all, is all good. But the key is that, look, there's a war. That's the thing. There's a war. So, um, right, many people have said in, in, our, in, in many uh, countries, Christianity is, is just like people are just comfortable. Just go through life. And then they have no sense of, look, we are in wartime. So what happens in wartime? There are casualties, there are battles. And what about the individual? Fight. Yeah, and that, that, that implies what? Before they fight. Yeah, there's a preparation. Something else? I was just saying that they're, they're, they're training. For yeah. Battle. So when you train, are you going to live the same way you lived before the war time? No. Not even close, right? Because you will have just the disciplines that you have to, to make, you'll have sacrifices that you have to make, you will have a dedication to certain things that you, that you make, and other things that are just fine when it's uh, peacetime, they just would be uh, unwise or improper in wartime, right? The resources that you have, you focus them on this, on, on survival, on the war. So in, in countries, right, the, the economy slows down, a lot of the uh, finances go towards uh, working for the military, the, the, the weapons and so on. So it changes the way you live when you are at war. So now look, many people, they don't think they are at war as Christians, so that's why they live the way they do, right? Not only that, it means that, that's the key thing I want you to remember, we'll talk about something else. It means that you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, put on the armor because you are at war. Because you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You have been enlisted in the army of the king. And so you don't get to say, oh no, I'm not at war. I don't want to serve. You've been enlisted. That's it. You're in the army. And now you follow the orders. And so then the first question is, are you actually a soldier? Are you saved? Somebody said earlier, that was... That was you, uh, Jason, that um, we need to have a relationship. Be strong in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, well, you have no business getting any of his armor. You're not in his army. You are in the army of the devil, really. You are on the other side. You are on the side of darkness. And so, are you, are you a soldier? So we'll talk about it with the different armor pieces. You'll clearly see. Do you have the truth? Do you have faith? Do you have a righteous life? If you don't have any of those things, look, you're not even a Christian. You're not even a soldier. So you need to be saved. You need to repent. You need to trust in Jesus. He died for your sins. And that He calls you to repent. Now you don't live the way you want. Now you're a soldier. You follow the orders. You follow the Lord. You serve Him your whole life. You live for His kingdom. And um, He rose. So He is the victorious King. And... Um, that's very important. We are soldiers. There is this beautiful song. Um, it's a Christian hymn. It says, it says, Onward, Christian soldier. And then it says that at the front, there is the cross of Jesus Christ. We follow after Jesus Christ, our King. And He has the, the cross for banner, victory. And so we follow after Him. So are you a soldier? 
And if you are, then, then you're a soldier. So that's, that's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Um, so there is a verse I'd like for us to take a look at. It's in Second um, <coughs> Timothy chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 4. If someone wants to come here and volunteer to read it so it can be heard on the recording, it's just right here. Anybody? Thank you, Jonah. This one? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Thank you. So this passage is actually about elders training up new elders. That's the context of the passage and that's the meaning. But of course we've seen that elders, they're actually models for every person who is in the church. So it's not like, well, the elders have not to be addicted to much wine, but for us it's okay, we can just be drunk. No, they are examples. And so therefore, uh, they are also examples of soldiers and we are to be just like that. And you see what it says? It says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then it tells us about what that means. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. <coughs> so that really encourages me to use my time even when I, I'm not working to do things that are going to be, yes, yeah, sometimes to rest and entertain and play, but also to do other things that are useful, are going to be glorifying God, taking care of my family, reading books, right? Uh, in addition to reading the Bible and daily devotionals, just trying to use the time that is not entangled in civilian pursuits. Trying to make the most of my time, like uh, we are told earlier in the book, to redeem the time. And then the aim to please God who enlisted me in his army. So we don't really ask those questions, do we? How can I use my time to please the one who enlisted me with the view that I'm a soldier in his army? And so what can I do? to make the army just move forward. Train, Train right? Train. Very important. I mean, we, um, um, Jesus said, I, I sanctify them. I sanctify myself for them. He said uh, he was growing in holiness uh, for the sake of us. And so I uh, remember a French blog post where a um, fellow believer was saying, reading for others right so i read i train i grow for others of course for god first because that's commanded because i want to please him but also for the others and the army and just reaching the lost and so on how about this one um for my kids right for my wife and so this idea that um i am not oblivious to the facts that there are many civilian pursuits that are just not proper for me because I have only one life, like Pastor really told us not too long ago in a sermon. And then my life is meant to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. And so I have to be very intentional. Yes? What was the 2 Timothy verses? 2 uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Thank you. 
Yes? Yeah, it, it's funny because I don't think we see it as, as warfare. We don't see it as spiritual warfare. I think that's a, a miss. Most, most Christians that are in their day-to-day life, I don't think they see or identify themselves as a as a soldier, you know, they don't, they don't see that it's, you know, it's almost kind of, it's, it's encouraging to think of that way as a guy, because, you know, that's kind of a a cool thing you want to, you know, but to to identify that and know spiritual warfare to see this as training, I think is is a cool perspective and knowing that you have the other side, which is an organized force, the demonic, right? It's an organized thing. It says rulers and, you know, there's, it's an army, you know, it's, it's an organization. I think you think it's weird uh, that the uh, screw tape letters, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis. That's a weird perspective. I never considered that, but it was really interesting. It opened my eyes. Good point. Yeah, that's good. So um, let me make a comment on that then. The other side, like you just pointed out, is organized. It has ranks. And so people today, they think, some Christians, or professing Christians, they think that they can be, quote-unquote, the lone ranger. Or you could put it this way, the lone soldier, just doing their thing on their own. Look, it's an army. You're part of uh, other, other Christians. You are to be in fellowship with what Paul says are, quote, fellow soldiers. Uh, it's mentioned several times, Philippians 2.25, Philemon 1.2. They are fellow soldiers. So you ought to be with the others. And in an army, not everyone has the same role. They are complementary. They support each other in many ways. And this is really how progress is made. Someone is injured, he's going to be helped out. And someone is discouraged, right? And so on and so forth. And so that means that we are to be part of a local church, a local army for the king. And uh, we also have to be in fellowship. That's very, very important. Uh, There's no uh, one-man one-man army. It's really we are together behind the king. And, uh, and again, that's, that's also implied in this passage and in the rest of scripture. But what uh, uh, or who are we at war with? So this is a war with whom? What about the younger ones? So we're, we just saw that Paul says we are, we are at war and we need an armor. So this war against the... Uh, is it, uh, is it against um, um, other people? What do you think? Someone. Why is that you may be able to stand against the skin of the devil, for we are we do not wrestle, or we are not at war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, what do you think that means? You were about to say something, maybe. No? Take a stab at it. <laughs> Try it. Um, so this is a wall. Who is the enemy? The devil. The devil is the arch enemy. Who is with him? Anyone who is not with God. Here you go. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. Um, Caleb, who is with the devil in this war against us, Christians and God? Okay, very good. Someone else. Something else we've not mentioned yet that Donaire's read, but uh, we need a word. 
that's in the future, I believe. Uh, yes, the demons, right? The demons. And so then, who are we not at war against? People. People. So I'm not at war against Muslims. I'm not at war against, how about this one? Democrats, right? I'm not at war against political forces. That's not my war. That's not how I wage the war. I'm not like campaigning for politics. This is just not gonna cut it. That's just the war we are uh, enlisted in. That's not like that, right? And um, I'm not at war against people at work who are, who are sometimes nasty. I'm not at war with them. I'm not uh, wrestling against people, but against spiritual forces that are coming from, uh, from the heavenly places. <coughs> okay? Please turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 7. And we will see there that we are at war to destroy spiritual strongholds for Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 7. Alright, so then it says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, that means we are alive as human beings, we are not waging war against the flesh that is at war with other people. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but are divine, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready, that is Christ, to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. So a couple of thoughts on this passage. Number one, again, we are enlisted in Christ's army and we belong to him. We are Christ's. And secondly, it says that the weapons, we are going to talk about the armor, is spiritual. It is from God. It is divine and it destroys um, strongholds. So think of a castle and then or a wall and every stone is a, is a, is a lie, is an idea, is a, a thought against Christ, against, against God, against His Word. And so that we, we just don't say, oh, look, there's just a lot of lies. It's like a wall in, in, in people's minds and there's nothing I can do about it. No, it says we are to destroy those things. That is, we are to just show how erroneous they are, how irrational they are, how false they are. And we have to uh, be ready, therefore. First of all, we have to know that this stone is actually part of the stronghold of the enemy. We don't go, oh yeah, this stone looks really nice, it's wonderful, and I believe it. No, it's like, this thing, that's a lie. And I'm supposed to be fighting against it. And that's going to be with um, the Word of God, as we will see. And the goal is that, see it says, every thought that we have is captive to Jesus. So Jesus, He, he is to, um, to possess, control every thought, every idea, every part of my worldview. He just controls everything in my mind. If the Bible says that God created the world out of nothing by His Word in six literal days, well, that's what I believe. Because that's the truth. That's from God. 
and any and any and all other things that God says in His Word. This is what is going to take down the strongholds, the lies from uh, our times, and we are going to put everything captive under Jesus Christ, and that's going to take those uh, spiritual divine weapons. <coughs> Before we move on to the actual armor, verse. Uh, according to the uh, the section we just read until verse 13 what is the end goal what is the end goal of us putting on the whole armor of god according to ephesians standing see it's very interesting he says so that you may stand and then it says therefore therefore stand or having done all to stand firm so it says it's three times so he doesn't say you have to defeat the devil. He says you have to stand firm. So in James 4, 7 through 8, <coughs> one of the passages that God has used to uh, regenerate me, I love this passage, it says, and that's going to be very important for you if you're not sure that you're a soldier, you're not sure that you're saved. Uh, listen up to this passage. God says, submit yourselves Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Later on, he says, let your joy be turned into mourning, and uh, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see here, he says, he doesn't say talk to the devil. He doesn't say defeat the devil. He says, submit to God, and then the devil is going to flee. So that's what you do. You are armed to stand firm against the forces of evil and God is going to um, make them flee. So people have said many times, and that's why it's in the section we're going to read, that if you just pray, uh, the devil can't stand it, so he'll just leave. Um, so you pray, you draw near to God, and the devil, he will flee. So that's the end goal, that we can stand firm. But it also says, having done all. So it implies that there are other things going on, but in the end, it's about standing firm as a soldier. So then we are reading verse 14. Questions, comments? Can I uh, toss something in there before you get to the, the actual armor piece? One of the things I love about Paul ending Ephesians this way is it kind of gives us a real balanced view of what our struggle is as Christians. Because if we go back to chapter four, he says there, put off the old self, put on the new self. And I think we tend to often emphasize one of these over at the expense of the other. So we have to fight sin. That is something that God is doing in us and we partner with him in that. But Paul ends by saying, and don't forget, this is a supernatural battle against spiritual forces in the heavenly places, right? So a lot of times either a church will emphasize, oh, the devil, the devil, the devil, all these demons and spirits, and you know that's where our war is. And they neglect indwelling sin that we are being sanctified out of. Or you get the opposite. You hear a lot about sin and the need for repentance and obedience and faith and those kinds of things at the expense of, but this is a supernatural battle and we have an enemy who hates us, right? And Paul gives us actually defeated both of those things, which I think is powerful. That's great. Yep. Thanks for sharing, Pastor Grady. Alright, so verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and 
as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. <coughs> In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So a couple notes, historical notes. So Paul was writing this letter, as he did for Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, from a jail. And uh, most likely he was actually chained to a Roman soldier. So just imagine Paul uh, either writing or um, on the floor or sitting and then right next to him there is like a, a chain that is connecting him to another soldier so he would have no uh, possibility of escaping. But of course what that meant is that you could see the, he could just see all the armor. And uh, armors, you know, armor pieces generally speaking, they are pretty universal. Although the Romans had their own style and so on, uh, we also see walls in the Old Testament, we'll go back to that later. But the point is that in that culture, this would be the predominant soldier that you would see, the Roman soldier. So with that in mind, uh, there is um, a quote I'd like to read to you. It's from the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia. It tells us about the Greco-Roman world and the soldiers, um, referencing an, an early Christian writer or early writer that, uh, um, that went by the name of uh, Polybius, and he tells us about the Roman soldier. So the text says, Polybius describes the Roman soldier as wearing such a helmet, a breastplate of brass, and um, chain mail to cover especially the heart and greaves, and as carrying a javelin, a sword hanging from the right side of the waist, and a shield, either one circular or one about two and a half feet by four feet in length. This description compares favorably with Paul's metaphorical statement uh, in Ephesians 6 about the Christian armor. So I'll try to bring some details about the, uh, the Roman armor as uh, it sheds light as to um, the details that Paul uh, likely had in mind. So we're going to go about uh, the armor in a, in, a, in a table fashion, as I like to do. It actually is good if you do that uh, because it helps you to just think and categorize and direct your thinking. So first of all, what are the parts of the armor? You can tell it louder. The breastplate. The breastplate of of righteousness. Another part of the armor. Shoes. The shoes of the gospel. This is the belt. The belt truth. of truth. The helmet. the helmet of salvation. The shield of faith. And the shield of faith. So now here's how we're going to go about this. Um, we are going to ask ourselves. Can I? Yes. Would the readiness be kind of out of the armor? <coughs> I mean, like, you know, that would be like the mental armor, kind of. Because well, we're coming to this. We're yeah. coming to this. That's, okay. that's good. If you can hold right. on to that thought. Okay. So we will see this, the historical, because look, he's using a metaphor. So he has to connect to some physical realities. Right? When he said Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, he doesn't say Jesus is the cat. He says the lion. Why not? Well, because the lion, he's like strong. He's powerful. He just is on top of the food chain. So here we hear about different physical, physical armor pieces. And we want to first look at, okay, what was that for? 
and then we're going to talk about the spiritual. So for the historical, we're going to talk about what benefit did you have when you were ready with this armor piece? And then we will talk about the flip side. What, what were you exposed to if you didn't have it? So physically, historically, and then we'll do the exact same thing for the spiritual. We'll start first with the literal historical details. So let's talk about the belt. What was the use of the belt? What did you have when you were ready with the belt? Anybody knows? Those who know, just jump in. Yes, so people had a tunic, like a, a robe, you could say. And so if they didn't have the, the belt, then it would be just, it would be moving around. If it was windy or if they were doing motions, they could get entangled, right? They could fly off on their face. You could imagine that that wouldn't work very well in battle time. So they were basically, it was holding the tunic. It made them more mobile, right? And, uh, and then also there were some uh, small daggers that were held there so they could hold a, a few things. So it really made them more mobile and ready. So the Israelites were told, fasten your belt when you're eating the Passover, just get ready because eventually they were to get out quickly. Uh, and so if they didn't have that uh, belt, what were the soldiers exposed to or what was the consequence? They could trip. Something else? <coughs> I just said that they could lose their sight <laughs> if it flies on their face. Yeah, so they could be, um, yeah, they could be blinded. They, they were exposed. They're, they're, um, what's that? Immobilized. Yes, so they were encumbered. I, I also like to say that they were, uh, the, the belt, in a sense, it's like, it's protecting you from exposing your nakedness. Right? That's, that's why we have a belt, even now. So then we move on to the spiritual. What spiritual benefit do you have when you're ready with your belt? Because of course it's the belt of truth. So now we're looking at the second part. We're looking at the truth part. We connect it with the belt, which is going to inform what the truth is doing. So what benefit do we have when we have the belt of truth? That's right, it's in the chapter 4 of Ephesians. And uh, I can't keep myself thinking like the belt. I was actually the, just like today, is when uh -huh. you carry your weapon. Um, so, as you were saying, they had the dagger, but also the belt had, uh, where they had the, the sheaves as well for this horde. And I can't remember what reference it is, but this one that says that um, the word of truth is like the sword that the two-edged right. sword isn't the two-edged sword that cuts yeah. you know the, the light from the from the truth you know um, so I'm thinking like is it something that has to do with it like you know when you have yeah. this weapon of the word and this is like what cuts yeah. what's wrong and what's right. No, I, th I think I think it's connected because truth is connected to the word of God. Now, I actually thought about that at first, but then the actual gladius or the soul that we will see later, it was attached with kind of a leather thing that went uh, in diagonal on the on the breast like that. It was not actually held by the belt. The dagger was a small dagger there. Um, but in the end, right, the truth is connected to the word of God. So that definitely uh, uh, aligns with that. 
So the truth here, we see that you are prepared for battle. You are protected from being blinded. You are protected from, um, from of course, who are we at war against? We just said the devil. What is the devil most known for? Yeah, he's the father of lies. So here you go. You are at war with the devil. You don't have the belt. You are out of uh, spiritual weapons here. You're going to be in big trouble. Yes? Is it saying like the truth, like it holds everything together? Like that's like the main part. Like you have all these other things, like pieces of armor uh -huh. and the belt, like holds it all in, which is the truth. Like that's like the biggest thing. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it definitely holds a lot of things. That's correct. I mean, then technically, it wouldn't be connected to the breastplate. It would be on its own. But if you look at the whole scripture, where we see more than the nitty-gritty details of the history, but you look at just the whole counsel of God, the truth upholds everything. Without the truth, there is nothing. The truth is uh, is eternal. It's from God. So it's good. Yeah. And I, I really like that, yeah. Anna, because... Uh, he, he, a little bit later, right down to verse 17, he makes a distinction of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I think he actually has something even greater than just the Scriptures in mind here, right? If Satan is the father of lies, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. So certainly the Scriptures are true, and they point us to right. Jesus, the truth. Mm -hmm. So I think we're even dealing with a concept that is bigger than just the Word of God. Certainly the Word of God is a part of it, but right. it's this thing that binds it all together. Right. That's good. So we're looking at uh, God Himself and um, uh, uh, an ancient known theologian has said, uh, all truth is God's truth. So truth is everywhere and it's from God. Um, and so, of course, the devil is filling the world, the world with lies and so we have to identify the belt and then have it so we can fight against the strongholds and every idea that's opposing Christ and um, and if we don't we will be susceptible to the deception of Satan to lies and and so on I'm sorry I, I just can I throw one of the thoughts oh, yeah. I know you're teaching let's do it one, one of my favorite scenes is when Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate says what is the truth and he's literally looking truth incarnate in the face and he can't see it right, right. So I just love that idea of like Jesus encompasses all that is true. Amen. Thanks for sharing. Your ears doesn't say gird up your loins because I mean uh, the idea is your weakness, the most soft spot, the, the most. And here it is, Christ is the one that's going to protect you in the. Yeah. You know, so you're you're being protected by right the truth in, in your most weak areas. You know, so. That's right. And so the Romans they had actually something that was pending uh, on their belt, and it was it was actually making some noise. Uh, along with the cleats and so people heard them coming and it was kind of making uh, the opposing army actually super scared because you had like thousands of people just marching and all the belt with the little tinkling things and it was like well, this is the truth like it scares the devil and it just does so and it protects us in our, in our weak spots for sure. Right. Amen. Yeah. All right. We move on to the breastplate of righteousness. What was the historical use of the breastplate? The breastplate was a piece of, uh, like we heard, they have different kinds, but essentially it was uh, a protection over here. 
and it could go all around with small pieces that were flexible so it would be maximum movement it could be a chain mail there were many different types but anyway so it was protecting the upper upper body so what was the historical use uh, to dig deeper here we go vital organs such as the heart and the lungs were protected you know you wouldn't use the breastplate for your elbow or for for the knee I meant or for the leg well not not really because if you couldn't just have a ton of weight and uh, motion restricting uh, accessories uh, all over your body so you were going to use it where look you take a shot here it's over and so um, it really if the people didn't have it they were vulnerable to body kill shots and their hearts were exposed so now we move on to the spiritual uh, what is the breastplate of righteousness spiritually beneficial for us if we have it always think of the historical it helps to guide he would keep your heart safe I mean you think that you can just live in sin and you'll be fine your heart will not be influenced and you want to have wreck in your life look it's gonna kill you that's how it works right John Owen said kill sin or sin will be killing you you don't have the righteous life you will just be pierced to the heart you will have like a life that's gonna be in just high danger you need the righteousness and that's of course just like for the truth um, actually all these items they are of God it's not just meant to be the armor of the put on the armor of the Roman soldier that's not what it says right it says put on the whole armor of God so it's the truth of God the truth of Christ It's the righteousness of Christ it's and on and on it goes it's all of God yeah, and I would, uh, I think of Philippians 3, where Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through works, but a righteousness that comes through faith <coughs> in Christ. Amen. Right? Because, again, our enemy is the accuser, and so we protect from his arrows of accusation by saying, it's not my righteousness, it's mm. his that's been given to me. Right? So I love the obedience piece but also, like both of these, all of this, right? Right. Obviously the obedience of righteousness, but also an alien righteousness that right. is given, that protects me. Amen. Yeah. Pastor Gabe? Yeah, not only that, but, but just adding what Grady just said, that this, this, this righteousness has been imparted to us, is, is uh, uh, when we put this on, we remind ourselves that, man, I'm justified. You know, I, I'm no longer... Uh, um, uh, being held uh, guilty uh, of my sin be because of uh, God's righteousness. Amen. And and so that's you know that again that throws back not only does it throw back at, at the devil but it's a reminder to us yeah. and that helps us stand even more firm uh, when we realize our standing in Christ. Amen. Yeah, and um, exactly what Greg was talking about the righteousness not our own. To say we're going to verse but righteousness it's not our righteousness because. My book being putting on a styrofoam breastplate that's not going to protect us very much. Good. So, um, so yeah, it's exactly putting, you know, putting that on, and it's Christ's righteousness. You know, there's plenty of other religions and such that claim the truth, and just like I said, it's putting on a styrofoam breastplate. So, making sure it's the righteousness, which is Christ, and not something else. Amen. Very good. So that also is reminding us, especially. For those of us who are not sure if we are saved, that look, do you have the truth? Do you love the truth? Do you have 
the righteousness that comes from Christ, you believe that he has lived a perfect life. And this life that he lived that is perfect is not given to you. So when God looks at you, he sees all the life of Jesus and you are accepted. Because you recognize that my life, it does not please God. I cannot save myself with my life. I need somebody else's life that was perfect and there's only Jesus. So Jesus is the one who is going to protect us from death by giving us um, uh, not only a protected heart with his righteousness, but a new heart. Now we move on to the shoes of the gospel of peace. And we are halfway through and I start, I'm starting to sweat, but uh, we'll, we'll try to move it a little bit faster. So the shoes, the shoes, the Romans, they had, um, so it's fascinating. Some historians have said that the Romans won many battles just by out walking the opponent. They just walked. They were just training with like 30 kilos, that would be 60 pounds. And um, they just walked like several, like every day they would walk tens of miles and they were just strong. And they had sandals that were uh, meant, they were made with a single leather piece. And they had a lot of air that could go through it. You would look at the top, it was almost like threads. So the water could flow in, it could uh, avoid blisters. If they were to cross a, a river, it would be dry quickly. And at the bottom, they had um, uh, what you would perhaps call some kind of nails, where they would not trip easily, they would be able to move quickly. If it was muddy or dusty, they would not be sliding. And so with the shoes, now watch this. I answer the questions here, but their historical use was they were like steady on the ground, they were ready. They were able to walk long, long distances. They were not going to be tired because they walked bare feet for the whole day. And so then what that means is that you cannot live the Christian life without the shoes of the gospel. Just for your own survival, you need the gospel so you can walk as children of light. I actually studied the, the, the passage in Romans 13 and it says, it says something similar. It says, we are no longer of darkness, Therefore, put on the armor of light and walk in light. And uh, <coughs> in, the, in the book of Ephesians that we uh, have been studying, it does say something very similar where it says, You were once in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 5.11 Have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And again, in Romans 13, Listen to this. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in crawling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So I'm going to kind of uh, flash the conclusion before we get there so hopefully you remember when it says put on the whole armor of God what it means is you have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ that's how you do it you have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ this armor of God this armor of light is the Lord Jesus Christ himself he is the truth he is the one who gives us the righteousness he is the gospel he is the one who gives us faith. <coughs> he, 
he is our salvation he's the captain of our salvation so we have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how we can uh, walk in our lives in the light through the gospel so here the, the the gospel of peace the shoes what that tells us right off the bat is that the gospel it's not just for unbelievers to get saved the gospel is for you and I to actually stand to actually walk as Christians the long painful tens of miles of spiritual roads that we have to take before we can take a break it is actually essential for the Christian life and then when you are in the battle and they are you have to be mobile you have to be ready you'll have the gospel which is really how you can uh, make inroads in the kingdom of the devil the gospel is gonna transform and the gospel is a gospel of peace so we get to be at peace with God when we are saved and then we can be peacemakers where we make peace we share the gospel and we are also trying to be at peace with other people as much as it depends on us any any comments? I know, I know you're, but the uh, putting on the armor, it's like you, 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 I think about it not getting up, getting up in the morning and, and going out without your clothes, you know, dressed for the day, right? And if we can relate that spiritually, we need to do this daily, putting it on daily, you know, and and, and that way we are protected as we walk right. out, right? Good. Like you were mentioning before, if you're not doing spiritual battle, if you're not in battle and you're not, you don't recognize that, maybe maybe you need to check and see if you're actually a soldier. You know, I think that's good. Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier. Amen. Yeah. Daily. It's the daily put on. We just don't put it once and then it's all said and done. No, put on the Lord Jesus Christ is daily because we need to be, in the words of John the Baptist, uh, he needs to increase and I need to decrease. The helmet of the shield of faith, it protected against darts, swords, and attacks. If you didn't have it, you would be vulnerable to uh, distance attacks. If you have it spiritually, uh, it means that you trust in God and His Word, and you are protected in trials and against the spiritual attacks. If you don't have it, then you will be in unbelief, worry, fear, self-reliance, and sin. So we need to take on the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation is protected against the head against fatal blows. You were vulnerable to kill shots in the head or fatal injuries or severe injuries on the head the helmets had guards uh, to protect from the uh, to protect the nose the ears the back the neck they were very well made and so if you have it you have salvation look if you don't have the helmet you're not even saved <coughs> and you are renewed in your mind you have peace of mind you have the knowledge of God and of the doctrines of grace and the Bible and eagerness for others to have it too you have thankfulness if you don't have it you're lost or you are in a false religion or theology you have now watch this one no assurance of salvation just like um, Jason just said we have to put on the whole armor of God daily and sometimes because people are not taught properly they think salvation can be lost so what they do they have put on the helmet of salvation on the side and then they live their life fearful psychologically unstable because they think they're gonna lose salvation or if they die today they'll be lost uh, and they are constantly just trying to maintain salvation even though they may not phrase it this way that's what they do because they think it can be lost but the Bible says you have the hope of salvation it's the helmet of the hope of salvation according to first Thessalonians and in the Bible a hope is a sure promise of God so salvation you have to have the helmet 
So you actually are safe psychologically and theologically in, um, in your mind. And it protects you from temptation and twisting scripture and so on. Then the sword of the spirit. Attack and defense. Now, if you actually... Some people say it's the only offensive and defensive part of the armor. You know, I, I just uh, don't think that's very correct. Let me tell you why. In 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 7, it says this. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way, but by great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beating, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors. He's basically saying, us apostles, we suffered a great deal. And it shows us, it shows that we are uh, authentic Christians and servants. Labors, imprisonments, remember Paul was in jail at the time. Uh, of the Ephesians uh, when he wrote Ephesians sleepless nights hunger by purity knowledge patience kindness the Holy Spirit genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left so he's saying those things he just listed the truth the Holy Spirit patience the power of God knowledge he says those are weapons of righteousness so the gospel is a weapon just as much as truth just as much as righteousness just as much as faith those things they are actually all making inroads in the in the kingdom of darkness when we just spread the truth we spread the gospel we live righteous lives and then seen to other people and they get transformed by the gospel and the testimony all those things they actually have an impact but of course the sword is visibly something that's meant to pierce right so the gladius was a double-edged sword made by the spaniards originally and it was short so it would be very flexible they could grab it and be behind the shield that was so big and they could just stab like this when they were in ordered formations that is the romans and so this was a short but not too short sword that was double-edged and very very powerful and easy to handle and of course in Hebrews 4.12 it says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to pierce the thoughts and the intentions of the heart to reveal the truth and lead us and correct us. And so that's the, that's the sword. And Jesus, of course, he resisted temptation uh, with, uh, when the devil was tempting him by quoting the, ver the, the word. So that's what we have to do. We have to really be able to know the word of God and use the word of God. And in conclusion... I want to let you with this one truth. It's the most important thing that I'm going to say today. You have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the ultimate warrior. He is the one lead soldier. And he is the one who is a one's man, one man's army. He is the one that he will come back. And he will have righteousness with the right robe. He will have the soul coming out of his mouth. He is the truth himself. The truth itself. He is the author of our faith. He is our savior, the captain of our salvation. And in the Old Testament, it talks about God this way. Isaiah 59. For our transgressions are, are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands away, for truth has stumbled 
in the public places or public squares and uprightness cannot enter. In other words, we don't have any of those things. But then it says, truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And then in Job 29:14, it talks about God clothing himself with justice and righteousness. Isaiah 11 as well says the same thing. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. That's God, the ultimate warrior. And now please turn to Zephaniah 3.17. And we will end there. And two out of three of those things were put on, but one of them um, it says the Lord put on cloaks of vengeance, cloak of vengeance, and that's one thing we're not to put on. It says the vengeance of the Lord. That's right. And so it's a good thing to remember. The Lord will do the battle. He will, he will bring the vengeance. That's right. He will repent. Zephaniah? Uh, yes, Zephaniah 3.17. <coughs> remember this verse. I, um, long ago, committed it to memory. I don't remember all the wordings, but I remember the reference and the key statement. The Lord is a mighty warrior who loves you and who saves. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So you picture this. You put on Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate warrior, the mighty warrior, God himself, who is going to fight for you, and he is going to change you so that you can have truth and justice and, and faith that actually characterize, it, characterize you as well. And he is the one who is going to win the battle. And so we trust in him because when he comes back, look in a word, he's going to destroy all the armies of the devil. And so we have this great, uh, this great assurance and hope. And so in the end, again, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate warrior. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you because Jesus Christ is the mighty warrior who saves. You are our God, the one who loves us and who fights for us. Uh, the battle is uh, yours. And uh, as was shared, you are the one who uh, is going to carry out vengeance when your son uh, comes back. Father God, we thank you for this text today. Help us to uh, also, as the rest of the passage says, to pray because we have all these uh, uh, pieces of armor and prayer is part of it. So we should pray that we do not fall into temptation and uh, we should have your word, uh, Lord, uh, in our hands, in our minds. Help us, Lord, to um, put on those things daily, trusting in Christ who is really the one uh, doing it all. Amen. Amen.